Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. 1 Peter 1. My intent before world events changed was to start preaching 1 Peter this summer um, because the book is about how to um, survive as a Christian in a culture that is more and more against you, which is becoming the reality that we live in. But um, now we have come to, we've been in a a time of controversy in the last three months, and I figure um, we don't need any more controversy right now, so I'm going to do 1 Peter next year. Um, but, but as we think about things that are important to the church, one of those things comes out in this passage. Um, you know, when a pendulum swings, it, it often swings in completely the opposite direction. Um, when, when I was in college, which was started college 10 years ago, um, there was a major emphasis in Christianity, especially among young people, of fighting against something called legalism. Legalism. Um, legalism is that it's this idea that your obedience to God is what puts you in right standing with God. That is, if you're not being a good Christian right now, God is, is just disappointed with you, wants nothing to do with you. Which is not biblical, um, but it, 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 it's that kind of thing. Nobody just calls themselves a legalist. Um, but, but often we can fall into thinking that sort of thing, that, oh, I was doing really well with God, I slipped up and I committed that sin that I, that I always struggle with, so I've got to put myself in time out for like two weeks, and then I'll get back to following God. That's not biblical. But that was something going on in the church about ten years ago, still here today, but, but not as much. Um, it's what the Pharisees practiced, this sort of thing. And at that time, 10 years ago, preachers were beginning to emphasize this opposite message that God delights in you fully because of what Jesus did on the cross. That is, all of your sins, past, present, and future, were paid for when Jesus died, and um, there's nothing you could do to make God love you any more or any less. And that's the message that was being preached to counter legalism. But this caused the pendulum to swing, swing completely in the opposite direction. This caused those young people who were fighting against legalism to make the opposite mistake of legalism. And that is that we now have a license to sin. That is, Jesus died for our sins, so we can just be really lax in our obedience to Jesus. All those things that legalism told me I can't do, they started doing them. You know, legalism said don't drink or smoke or curse or watch inappropriate movies. And so the young people, not just young people, but the people who were fighting against legalism began to do all those things because we're forgiven in Christ, so why not? We'll do them in moderation, but we can do them. And as with most pendulums, the middle ground is the best place to be. That is not 
my obedience to God determines his favor of me and not because of what Jesus did. I can do whatever I want and I'm forgiven. It's in the middle that Jesus has forgiven me of all my sins and because of that I obey him because I love him. We must not sin freely. We must not, we must not define our walk with God based on how good we are. Both of those things are wrong. We must live holy lives. It is vitally important that, you, that, that we as Christians walk in holiness because Christ is holy. So with that, 1 Peter 1, I'm going to read 13, verse 13 through 21. Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We get to a place where being a Christian is defined by legalistic actions, legalism, um, when we miss the first part of this passage. Um, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have grace now through our faith, but when Christ returns, that is when our salvation will be fully realized, when we will know what it all involves. Set your hope on that day. You know, something I often wonder is, um, how do liberal churches thrive so much? There's this church in my hometown that my dad talks about pretty regularly that it is a liberal church. They don't believe the Bible. They think the Bible, you can pick and choose whatever you want to believe in and throw the rest out. Um, they, they don't believe any of that. They, they don't believe in sin. They don't believe Jesus you know, died for our sins. He died as a good example for us. You know, those sorts of things. How do churches like that thrive? Because what are you gathering for? What, what are you doing when you meet together? Those churches preach the moral parts of Christianity, but they do not preach the redemptive parts. They preach, you know, do good and hate evil, but they do not preach you're a sinner who has rebelled against God and you need Jesus to die in your place. How do those churches thrive so much? Well, it's quite simple. People love to come and hear how good of a person they can be and how if they're a good person, they'll have a blessed life. Um, people love to feel good about themselves, so they're drawn to that kind of thing. But understand, it's impossible for you to be a good person outside of Jesus. The Bible's clear. None of us are good. Not one of us is righteous. Nobody. Doesn't matter how many good things you do, the scriptures say your good works are filthy rags before God. You cannot please him with your goodness. So the, the first part of, of what I'm saying to you today is set your hope on 
Jesus. That, that's got to be the first part before you get to the second part, which we're going to in a minute, which is be holy. Set your hope on Jesus. Living a holy life starts with hope in Christ. It starts with hope in what Christ has done. We set our hope on Christ when we're saved. Now Peter's talking to Christians here. He's saying, set your hope on Christ daily. That grace that's going to be brought to you when Christ returns. When he comes, he's going to rescue us from the world that we're in. He won't take you out of the world. He will take sin out of the world and bring heaven to earth. That's what the end of Revelation teaches. We don't fly off to some floaty place forever. He brings heaven down to earth and makes creation new, and we live in new creation forever. And this is great hope for Peter who's writing this. That day is coming. It's what he puts his hope in that day. Is your hope fully set on that day? Is, is your hope fully set on the fact that Christ is going to rescue you? Or is your hope set on things here on earth and you're hoping in those to deliver you? Because they will not, ultimately. They will not deliver you. Nothing here on earth will deliver you. We, we, we wait for the Son of God from heaven. He will deliver us. If your hope is not set on Christ, you probably won't live a holy life like this passage tells you to do. If your hope is not set on Christ, you probably will not live a holy life. Now, you may live a, a life that looks pretty holy, that looks apparently holy. You know, you'll be a good, nice person. You'll, you know, be at church regularly. You'll share Christian stuff on Facebook. You'll, you know, be, be a, you'll, you'll say Merry Christmas to your, to your cashier at Publix. But the fact of the matter is, Christ is the Holy One, and you're not measuring up to Him, so you're, you're, you're not even close, just because you're a good, nice citizen. That the only way to live holy is to set our hope on the Holy One and be transformed into His likeness. We daily seek Him. We actively seek Him. Peter says, set your hope on Jesus and, and the revelation that's going to come. And because of that, he says then, be holy, verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's a reference to the book of Leviticus. You're to be holy as he is holy. What does it mean to be holy? What does that mean? You, you might think <clears throat> different definitions of what holy means is to be without sin, uh, set apart, morally pure, and those are all good definitions, but probably the best answer, um, if, you, if you look back at, at the Old Testament um, and understand what, what being holy in the Old Testament means, which would have been what Peter was quoting from, um, the, the word for holy in the Old Testament means completely committed to God, wholly committed to God. The, those, all those other things fall under the umbrella of that. Being morally pure, being without sin, being set apart. Those things are under the umbrella of being committed to God completely. So maybe you ask then, how is God holy? Is he wholly committed to himself? Well, in a sense, just understand, God is a trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father's completely committed to the Son. The Son's completely committed to the Father. The Holy Spirit's completely committed to the Father and the Son. And they are all fully committed to carrying out their will, the, the will of God in the world. 
in commitment to God in heaven, we live holy lives. That's what it means. Peter says, not like our former self, not not like our former self. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do you remember who you were before you met Jesus? Do you remember? I was a self-righteous killjoy. I thought I had no sin, and that was the worst kind of sin that I could commit. I strutted around my middle school thinking that all those kids in detention, I'm better than them. All those kids who don't turn in their homework, I'm better than them. Uh, that, That was my attitude. And I actually thought small things would satisfy me. I thought if if I could get in the popular crowd, I'd be satisfied. I thought if I could get straight A's, I'd be satisfied. I thought if if I could get a girlfriend, I'd, I'd be satisfied. Like that was the purpose of my life and how ignorant I was. I, I, I walked in my former ignorance, verse 14, my former ignorance. You may not remember what you were like before you met Jesus. Honestly, there may be a disconnect in your mind. You know, you're a pretty good person, and before you met Jesus, you were a pretty good person. You, you weren't committing any bad sins or anything. Um, you, you just kind of added Jesus to your life as an accessory for you to be able to go to heaven one day. But understand, you are born a sinner. You're an enemy of God. You're waging war against your Creator. That's what the Bible teaches. No matter how good of a person you are by worldly standards, that's who you are when you're born. And when you're saved, you are completely made new. Your heart is completely refashioned to not be those things. You are changed forever. And so Peter says, as obedient children, be holy in all your conduct. Why does it say children? Well, children inherit things from their parents, don't they? Children inherit things. Um, Your your children look like you. Your children pick up a lot of things from you. They inherit things from you. Um, They inherit good things from you. They inherit bad things from you. They they inherit that from their parents. And we, as God's children, inherit God's holy character. It's now in our genes if we know him. We don't live holy lives out of some obligation. Well, I gotta not do these things and I gotta do these things. You know, like it's just drudgery. We, we, we live holy lives because we're children of God. We, we have inherited that from Him. Holy is who we are now. It's like a bird flying. Birds don't fly out of obligation, they fly because they're birds. And that's what they do. Peter quotes Leviticus and he says, Be holy, for God is holy. We are to be holy because God lives in us through the Holy Spirit. It's who we are. When a Christian doesn't care that they're not living a holy life, there's something wrong there because the Holy Spirit lives in them and the Holy Spirit is holy. So, in what ways are we to be holy? Well, look, he says, in all your conduct. Often a holy person in our minds, someone who who is a holy person, is someone who faithfully comes to church and who doesn't commit any scandalous sins, doesn't curse, drink, do drugs, or watch pornography. Can I just tell you, there's a lot of atheists who do all those things. 
There's nothing hopeful found in them. It, it, it is all in, it, it is that our whole conduct, as Peter says, uh, all of our conduct is holy. That is all the things we say, we seek to be holy. All the, all the things we do, we, we seek to be holy. All the thoughts we think, seek to be holy. All the attitudes we have, seek to be holy. Wow. Any one of you hear that and just feel bad about yourself? Because there wasn't a day this week that I succeeded at that. That there wasn't. Just understand that there's a freedom found here in this passage. Not a freedom to sin, as I mentioned earlier. A freedom from beating yourself up that you don't fully measure up to this. It's back in verse 13, which is what we were talking about. You set your hope on what? On the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, what, what is grace? Well, grace is getting what you do not deserve. You do not deserve grace. God gives it to you. Grace is the, 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 all the spiritual blessings that God is going to give you that you do not deserve. You don't deserve to live forever. You don't deserve to get to live in God's kingdom forever as his beloved children you have sinned enough this morning, and I have too, before we even got to church, that you deserve hell forever for it. And grace changes that. Grace gives you what you don't deserve. Grace is there where you are not yet 100% perfect. And that's the glorious thing that's coming. That's what we set our hope on. That when you don't completely measure up to the holiness that we're called to, you've got grace to, to fill in those spots where you screw up. I often describe following Jesus, and you've heard me do it so many times, as it's like clumsy following him. You, you follow him, and you trip along the way, and he's standing there saying, okay, that's okay, stand back up, keep going, keep going. He's not a drill sergeant saying, get up, you maggot. No, he's, he's like a father who's watching his kid walk for the first time. The kid face plants and says, hey, that's okay, keep trying. Get back up, keep, keep coming. That, that, that's who Jesus is. We don't follow him perfect, but we do follow him. That must be made clear. We are not yet what we will one day be. We will finally be 100% holy when Jesus returns. That's the joy of that song that we sing. What, what a day that will be when there's no more sin, no more sorrow, and Jesus is who we see. He's who we see. We see his glory, and we're made like him. We're finally made clean of our sins, and we are completely made new when that day comes. So why do we do this? Why do we live holy? That's verses 17 through 21. Why, why do we do this? Why do we strive to be holy? I mean, we're saved, so we're going to go to heaven when we die. Our, our future's secure, so... Why not just kick back and wait for that day? Why put forth any effort? Why, why not just, just wait? Why put in all this work? You know, Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. You know, that, that is, you know, not that you're saved by how holy you are, but, you know, if you're okay with praying a prayer and just chilling for the rest of your life, saying, I'm going to heaven when I die, you, you may not know him. 
Because when you pray that prayer, He transforms you. He makes you new. You now want to do the things that please Him. If you're good with just chilling and not doing anything, that's evidence that there's no transformation in you. We do this because of verse 17, that we conduct ourselves with fear through this time. We, we fear the Lord. Again, it's that parent-child connection. That's, that's how the passage puts it. Um, if you call on him as father who judges impartially, um, you conduct yourselves with fear. It's that parent-child relationship. If he really is your father, if God really is your father, there will be a family resemblance to him. You will look like him some. Now, notice that word pops up again. It popped up in verse, um, verse 15, and it pops up here in verse 17. Conduct. In 15, it was a noun. Here in 17, it's a verb. Conduct. Fear the Lord, and that's how you conduct yourself. Fear the Lord. You don't fear the Lord like, like the boogeyman, like, like you know, God's behind a bush and boom, scares you to death. That, that's not how you fear the Lord. You, you fear the Lord the way you fear a hot stove. You know, yesterday when I cooked part of dinner, I didn't look at the stove and say, ah! No, I, I just understand that, that if I take my hand and put it on that stove, it's not going to be good for me. It's going to hurt pretty bad. I have reverence for the power of the heat in that stove. Uh, that, that's what fearing the Lord is. We, we, we recognize His power and we submit to it. Holy living comes out of fear of the Lord. In verse 18, you were ransomed for this, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways you inherited from your forefathers. You were ransomed from this to live a holy life. That is, when you were saved, you were ransomed from your former ways, from the feudal ways you inherited. You were, you were taken from the ways you inherited from your birth father, and you were given the character of the one of your heavenly father. Look, your dad is awesome, but you inherited sinful ways from him, and I did too. That is, Adam sinned, he passed it down to Seth, Seth passed it down to his kids and his kids and his kids. It came to my dad, he passed it down to me, and I passed it down to my son. That's how it works. That's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin, because the sinfulness is passed through the seed of a man. He was born of the seed of a woman. Women are sinners too, but, but sin passes through man. We have, we have been ransomed to walk in the wonderful ways of our new father. Aren't you glad you were ransomed from your sins, from your emptiness, from your brokenness, from the former life you lived? Praise God we were ransomed from that. In verse 19, we were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. His blood is precious. What, what does precious mean? I often call my son precious boy. What, what does that mean? Well, he's of high value. He's not to be treated carelessly. That's what I mean when I say that about my son. And when we speak of Christ's blood, it's of high value. You were not ransomed from your sins with money. You were ransomed with something way more valuable than money. A ransom is usually paid with money, but Jesus pays it with blood. He was a lamb without spot or blemish. We live holy lives 
because Jesus died for us. That's the reason. He's the point of the universe. Look at 20 through 21. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. That is, Jesus was there before creation. He's been manifest in the last days that we're in now, and he will be the point of the universe forever and ever and ever. We will sing his praises for all of eternity. That's the point of the universe. So what are you currently so giving your life to? What, what is it that really determines what you give every bit of your determination to? It, Jesus is the point He's the point. He's the point of all of history. Uh, all of history. It is foolish and makes no sense to give your life to anything else. Because Jesus is the point of the universe. And because Jesus is the point of the universe, we live holy lives. No, notice the beginning of verse 13, because I didn't mention it when I, when I was up there. Preparing your minds for action. Preparing your minds for action. Prepare for action. It's kind of like like soldiers are about to go into war, and the and the general comes in and says, "Get your gear on. We're going into battle." That's the kind of thing going on here. Holiness, being a holy person, does not happen naturally. It doesn't. It takes work. You, you got to fight your sin and walk free from it because it, it isn't something that happens without you thinking about it. You have to actively fight it happens through your daily choices. We, we live, living holy lives is going to take you making daily commitments to live a holy life. So some of those may be big decisions, some of those may be small decisions. You know, there used to be that popular saying, it's, it's not as popular anymore, I don't think, but WWJD, what would Jesus do? They had the bracelets everybody would wear. Um, it, it usually wasn't anything like this, it was usually, would Jesus buy that kind of car? Would Jesus buy a Bentley? Would Jesus buy a house with five bedrooms or ten bedrooms? Um, I don't know that Jesus is so much concerned about that. He's concerned about this. Um, the, the point is we should strive to live like Jesus every day in all the things we do. In our actions, we seek to live like Jesus. In our words, we seek to live like Jesus. In our thoughts and our attitudes, we, see, we, we live like Jesus. In the things we, I've got to say this for today's time, in the things we post on the internet, we live like Jesus. You, you must make daily choices in each of these to be like Jesus in these areas. So think about those. Which of those actions, words, thoughts, attitudes, and posts on the internet, which of those are you currently the least like Jesus in? Which one? And what decisions can you make today to grow in holiness in those areas? What, which, what can you do? Maybe something small. You know, maybe, you know, I spend too much time watching TV. I don't spend any time with the Lord. Maybe I need to cut out a little TV and spend that time with the Lord. Maybe it's, you know, I don't speak enough encouraging words to my spouse. I speak plenty of degrading things to my spouse. Yeah. I'm going to make the commitment that I'm going to start saying at least one encouraging word to my spouse every single day. Maybe it's something big. You know, maybe... 
quite frankly, you're addicted to internet pornography on your iPhone. Can, can I just be really frank with you? Go to the Verizon store today and downgrade to a flip phone. For the sake of your soul, for the sake of your marriage, go do that. You say, that's kind of crazy. But remember, Jesus says, if, if, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. If your hand causes you to sin, chop the thing off. Because it's better to enter eternal life with no hand or no eye than with all your body to go into hell. Maybe you need an accountability partner of some kind for whatever you're trying to get better at. You know, someone that you confess your sin to. Someone that will check in on you once a day, even if it's just by a text message, and ask, hey, have you struggled with that sin you talked to me about today? How you doing? And that you pray with regularly to help you fight through that. You may want to come talk to me about some sin struggle that you're dealing with. Contact me. I, I, I want to meet with you. Listen, as Christians... We are to be distinct from the world. Jesus has ransomed us out of this world. He has not taken us out of the world. We still live in the world. We still interact with the people of the world. We still live in the, in the functions of the world. But we live as people who are a part of another kingdom. Part of another kingdom. But the great concern is that a lot of Christians, especially here in the United States aren't really that different from the world. It, it, it's it's kind of hard sometimes to pick out Christians from, from the, the worldly people around them, and that's concerning. Peter's clear. Be holy because Jesus is holy. Let's pray. Father, it's a big demand to be holy. And Lord, it's one that all of us hear and think about and think about how we have failed and not measured up at it. We praise you for your grace that you pick us up when we fail. May we follow you faithfully and reach up to grab you when we trip and stumble that you can pull us back up. But Lord, may we seek to live holy. May we seek to live lives distinct from the world that we have been ransomed out of. We have not been ransomed to, to be a part of this world. We have been ransomed to be a part of a kingdom that is coming, that isn't fully here yet. Lord, would you help us to live faithfully to that kingdom and not to the kingdom of this world? You are our God, not the God of... The, the God of this world is not our God. The God of heaven is our God. So help us to faithfully serve him and follow him and be like him for the glory of your name. It's in that name that we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen.